When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the new and improved Cup of Cubby Blue, proudly affiliated with the Fans First Sports Network, where you are hopefully subscribed for a ton of great Cubs content. We still have all of the series-by-series updates and the Bleacher Banter that you love over at the Bleacher Bunch. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs being at the heart of a historic night on offense and the fact that they are old enough that they were part of all of those historic nights of offense back in the day and more for Bleed Cubby Blue. And as always, I'm joined by the one and only Danny Rocket. How's it going, Danny? Pretty good. You know, uh, I'm sad that the Nationals bullpen is leaving town, but, you know, mostly I'm, I'm doing fine. Cubs take two or three. I can't say that has happened a lot this year. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it for what it's worth. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I felt like these three games didn't feel great at any point during the beginning for the Cubs. It kind of felt like they were out of all of them and like they weren't going to wake up. Um, obviously, they did in both the second and third game, and I am grateful for that. But I just really didn't have a ton of optimism in the early innings for these games at all. Yeah, and even in the first game, which they did end up losing, they did try to come back in it. I mean, the Nationals have really one of, by all metrics, one of the worst bullpens in the major leagues. And even the year that they won the World Series, they didn't have a very good bullpen. They had an amazing starting staff and then, you know, didn't really build a bullpen. And the same thing is true with this team. We try to climb back into that first game, end up losing 7-5. to You were one big hit away, like – that Mike Talkman hit drops and you're talking about at least a tie game, I think right there um, at the end of that game. 
Um, there were other opportunities, even with Miguel Amaya reaching in the ninth and then three straight strikeouts from the top of the lineup. And it just felt like it was same old, same old crappy Cubs going in to face the, the face of even worse team. And it was like, oh, we're definitely sellers now. Oh, you know, sky is falling, chicken little, chicken little. And then they managed to <laughs> absolutely slaughter the Nationals at the end of Tuesday's game and also at the end of Wednesday's game. It was all about their bullpen being terrible because you're absolutely right. These games, if they were Little League and ended in the seventh, <laughs> we lose them all, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, the Nationals bullpen, I, as you mentioned, just not very good, not intimidating really at all, not doing a good job. But, like, I, I'm having a hard time getting jazzed about this because the Cubs were basically shut down by Patrick Corbin, and Patrick Corbin is not good. So I'm just like, I guess it's great that they came back. I definitely loved the 17-run comeback. I mean, I wrote about it, and you should check out that piece. It was fun to kind of dig through the history there. We can talk about it a little bit if you want. But I – if you're getting shut down by Patrick Corbin, you're not a playoff team. So what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. Unless of course it's 2019 Patrick Corbin from four years ago when he was actually in the playoffs. I'm actually shocked that he's still on the nationals. Like I think the nationals have more guys from their little run than, than we do from ours. But um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't give me a heck of a lot of confidence going into this series with St. Louis. I'll tell you that much because so even though St. Louis has been one of the worst teams, they've climbed out of the basement. Pittsburgh's now down there and um, they've been playing better lately. I, they have won a little bit since coming out of the break. And I mean, let's put it this way. I mean, even fan graphs like St. Louis, <laughs> like they think that um, at the, this point, they believe that the Cardinals and the Cubs are going to finish neck and neck in the standings. And that would not surprise me, especially if the Cubs are sellers. Um, it remains to be seen what the Cardinals are going to do, like whether they're going to have Goldschmidt and Arenado at the end of this week. And what, you know, but we face the Cardinals. I know I'm getting ahead of ourselves. I know. I'm like, I, we're not at the, we're still supposed to be talking about the Nationals. Yeah. But Let, that's I'll, fine. I'll, I'll turn back the clock <laughs> a little bit then and just say that, like, you know, the Nationals, last place team. Red Sox, even though they're good, last place team. The Cardinals, we're a last place team all year long. We fit, we're facing last place teams. We'll be lucky to go 500. And that makes us not a playoff team. And that makes us a team that, you know, maybe you could do your little soft buy, soft sell, or whatever the hell that means. But, and, and basically move around decks on the tight, uh, move around uh, chairs on the Titanic all you want. But, you know, this is, this is not a team that's, uh, even these games, I mean, we should have looked dominant against the nationals and we didn't Now we're going to, we went ahead against them with our, our, the bottom of our rotation. So take that for what it's worth. I mean, you had another, I don't know, man, Justin Steele started one of these games. Well, no, you had, wait, smiley was the first game. Smiley. And then, and then oh, smiley what, Tyon and Hendricks. You're Tyon right. And I Hendricks, don't know why yeah. I thought Steele was, you're right. Uh, I wish he did. Um, but like, you know, Smiley, not very good again. That's pretty disheartening. You kind of were hoping that you had this, like, maybe either number four 
that was going to overperform and really solidify the rotation. It looked like it was going that way, or you'd have a great trade piece that somebody would want a veteran lefty pitcher that uh, could eat innings. Well, we took all the innings he's capable of giving in a season. We already did it all hundred. He's at his season high already. And now who the hell would trade for him? I don't know. You'd have to be nuts. Then the second uh, Tyone, Four more, three more years of this, you know, like what the hell he had one good start in New York. You're hoping he could build on it. Did not. Um, it wasn't terrible. He gave up only three runs, but he did it right at the beginning of the game. So it felt bad. Seven hits, only the four strikeouts. I mean, he didn't get through the full six, which is also what you're hoping for. And then the only quote unquote good start. Uh, and it was nice to see was that Kyle Hendricks seemed to rebound from the last time when he gave up bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb literally four bombs yeah Kyle Hendricks I think might just be sort of a situational like situation dependent pitcher right now because the day that he was thrown against the Red Sox it was just really humid and hot and I think that a couple of those are long fly balls in the event that he throws them on a different day but he threw them on that day and they all went out of the ballpark um Let's talk about this Smiley loss game one. You already mentioned that the Cubs tried to come back a little bit here. They did get home runs from Ian Happ and from, uh, who am I blanking on? Patrick Wisdom, Wisdom, who's heating up. Yeah, like let's talk about Patrick Wisdom for a second. He has a handful of home runs in this series and looks like he's on one of his little tears. So, of course, he did not start the third game of the series because hashtag (laughs) David Ross. Yeah. Ross GPT out there taking him out of the lineup. Um, yeah, it's, it's obviously the mustache giving him power. <laughs> There's no other explanation possible, but then his little Mr. Hanky stash is, is really giving him the business there. I mean, Patrick wisdom. I mean, what do you do with a situation like that? You wonder if any other teams would ever inquire about him as either part of a trade or the main focus of a trade. Hey, I need some right-handed power on my team. What could you get for a Patrick wisdom? Because I mean, right now you got Morel. I mean, he's got, he's got the stiff neck and stuff, but he's still on the roster. He's not on the IL. You've got two more infielders, Dansby and Madrigal on the IL right now. Um, When they come back, you assume that it's corner at second. And then that brings us to back to our third base platoon situation right now. Where does Patrick wisdom even fit in that? He's not a young guy where you're like, well, we need to get him at bats to develop him. Nah, he's developed like Patrick wisdom is what he is. Um, There's no place for him on this team. He's basically an old morel with less other skills. I mean, I don't know. What, well, do you think, what, what do you do with Patrick Wisdom? He's on a heater. Like you play him while he's on the heater. I mean, I don't, I don't think they're going to get like a great trade offer for Patrick Wisdom. I suppose it's possible. Anything is possible, but I, I don't think they're going to. Um, I don't think they're going to get a great trade offer for Nick Madrigal either, despite throwing him out there at third base game after game, after game, after game, after Miles game. Mastroboni and his. Yeah, no, elite. don't think anybody's coming for Miles Mastroboni and his, well, he, he got his OPS up a little bit. So I should probably double check before I tease him for having an OPS under 500. Oh, it's um, just, just over 500. In fact, I saw he hit Mr. Mendoza's line of 200. So we're all very proud of uh, 
Miles Mastroboni. Next, next is to get the career uh, to the Mendoza line, the career batting average. Yeah, I mean, none of these guys, nobody's coming calling for any of these guys, right? Like, why would you want any of them? So the Cubs are going to have the same roster situation that they have at least at third base into August. Now they might, they'll probably get offers for Cody Bellinger. They'll get offers for Marcus Stroman. I think they might get offers for Drew Smiley. I think that he was part of the Atlanta team that won the world series. And that was the same type of deal. He was with the Cubs. They got traded to Atlanta and then he won a world series and he came back to the Cubs. But I, I don't know, man. Like I just, I, I will be stunned if somebody comes calling for Nick Madrigal, Miles Mastroboni, or Patrick Wisdom. Absolutely stunned. Yeah, and especially because, like, I feel like we have been signaling our showcasing of these trade pieces really maybe even the whole year. Like, when you brought up Nick Madrigal, like, hey, look what we got. Plays a little third base, great contact skills, first-round pick. Oh, did I mention he was a first-round pick? Like, I feel like that's what we're doing, you know, like it's it's some like, uh, you know, one of those old dating auctions where you like bid on The Bachelor or something like that is, is what we're doing. It's like all just like a best-in-show competition. And, I mean, if you need – you know, here's the thing is like – you look at our guys and you're like, yeah, he could be a good piece on a, on a good team. Oh, that guy could be a good piece hitting seven. Like we got a bunch of seven hitters, <laughs> bunch of six, seven hitters, good pieces on a good team. But I I don't know if that's like such a prize to have, you know what I mean? Like doesn't every team that is successful up till now, that's looking to get into the playoffs or go further in the playoffs already kind of have a handful of those guys that, you know, to be stock full of fourth outfielders and utility infielders doesn't really feel like it's some rare commodity. No, no, it does not. Um, let's talk about the second game, which is actually, in my opinion, the most fun one. And I honestly, it's such a weird game because I this game felt every bit as dull and lackluster as the other ones heading into the sixth inning. It was one of these games where you're just kind of like, dur, 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 the Cubs are doing their things. I honestly was just like, maybe I'll just leave. Like, maybe I just won't hang around for this. Like, and I never leave Cubs games. So the idea, the fact that I'm sitting there like, why am I even here? What am I doing with my evening that I'm hanging out at this Cubs game? Just struck me as like a moment of like, I had basically given up on this team. And then they start, to rally. So they tie it up in the sixth. Uh, they get a, they get a little show a little bit of life tying it up in the sixth. Get Patrick Corbin out of the game. And that seventh and eighth inning, I've never had the Cubs mess my scorecard up that much. And gracias. It was great. Like, thank you for absolutely destroying my scorecard, Chicago Cubs. <laughs> yeah. They scored exactly. 14 runs in two innings. It was crazy. Yeah. And they batted around twice or just once. Okay. Well, this depends on your definition of batting around. Because right. they definitely had everybody in the order come to the plate, I think, in the seventh inning. Mm-hmm. But they didn't actually, like, start to loop back. Gotcha. In the eighth inning, they definitely they definitely batted around. But this is actually one of those old baseball questions of, do you have to go all nine plus one, or is it just all nine? Well, you know what I do, personally, is I find out, like, let's say, you, we, you and I were going to talk about it right now. And I find, find out that you say batting around is that you have to come all the way around. Well, I will absolutely argue the other side of it, <laughs> you know, just for fun, um, because it I can see it both ways, to be honest. And I know that drives some people nuts. And I'm like, hey, whatever you want to do with it doesn't matter to me. 
But it, it does matter to me because it was the Cubs and they were scoring lots of runs because of it, whether they batted around or just batted through the order. It um, it was freaking awesome. And they haven't they haven't done that this year. I this was their season high in runs scored, not their season high in hits, though, I don't think. That might be true. I haven't looked at the season high in hits, so you're going to have to look that up. I honestly, I tend to think batting around means that you've messed up my scorecard. So if you only go <laughs> all the way through like the nine guys and the ninth guy makes the last out, you haven't messed up my scorecard, ergo, like, you know, not batting around. But it honestly doesn't matter that much to me either. Either I know that the Cubs scored a lot of runs. <laughs> yeah. Got a lot of hits and it was fun. 17 to be specific. And like they just left uh, poor Espino out there to uh, just wear it. Just got one out, gave up seven hits, eight runs, two walks. And after all that ends up with a ERA of 24.75. So I wonder Ooh. what it was going into that game. <laughs> it was probably nine or eight or something like that. We just triple it on him. Pablo Espino. Pablo um, Espino. I mean, he's been around for a while, I guess. I mean, you know, I, in Milwaukee, Texas. He's older, he's kind though. Of a, he's a journeyman. Uh, the fun part about that, so so Tuesday – sorry, this is going to require a little bit of background. Tuesday night is Tout Daily Night, and it's the only daily fantasy contest I play. I'm not really all that into, like, the DraftKings stuff or anything like that, but – all the people in Tout Wars have a daily fantasy contest one night a week, and it's almost always Tuesday. Um, and so I pay more attention to what is going on all around the league that night because I'm looking for – you're looking for games where there's going to be super high scores because you want to stack those players, right, from the high-scoring games in your stack, and then you want to have the pitchers that avoid the high-scoring games. That's how you win. Uh, and so I'm kind of like sitting there – in the ble- not in the bleachers, in the grandstand, and I'm, I'm watching, just kind of scrolling all the scores. I'm like, all of the scores around the league are nuts. Like, this is crazy. And it, it started with, like, the Braves-Diamondbacks game that was, I think the Diamondbacks ended up winning 16-13 to 13 or something like that. But it just kept going all around the league. It was just like 10 runs here, 11 runs there, 10 runs here, 11 runs there. And I'm literally thinking, why can't the Cubs get in on this? <laughs> When the Cubs did, in fact, not only get in on it, the Cubs scored more runs than any team in baseball on Tuesday night. So that's kind of fun. They led the way there. But that was a night of offense that has not been seen in the sport since 1894. The only other time that it's happened was 1884. This is like when they were doing things like standardizing the mound and it was common for people to score like seven runs in a game. And frankly, there weren't enough teams in the league for the to really have like you had to have multiple teams playing double headers, scoring 10 plus runs twice in order to get to that count of how many teams had 10 plus runs. Anyway, I say all of this to say the fun part of this, I went through and I found all of the teams that contributed on Tuesday night. And then. I went back and looked at the ones that were old enough that they could have possibly had teams play in 1884 and 1894. We're down to five teams. Only two teams, the Cubs and the Braves, were part of both of all three of those nights where they scored 10 plus runs. But the Cubs are unique even here because the Cubs had double headers on those days in 1894 and 1884. And the Cubs scored 10 plus runs in every game they played on all of those days. Double header, single, whatever, they absolutely demolished it 10 plus runs the cubs are your offensive historic night kings 
All right. That's interesting. That that's uh, kind of an outlier there. And uh, speaking of the, the outlier, it that 20 hits ended up being actually their season hit total of the game uh, of the season so far, too. I'm like looking at all their high scoring games and they they didn't. I, I, it was something that Zaidman said uh, on the radio. But I guess it was not true. <laughs> so I don't know what to tell tell you here. Um, but yeah, that's def- twenty was definitely their highest hit total. Um, so good stuff. Yeah, well, it's it's possible to do wind blowing out at Wrigley, middle of summer. Like you could, you know, that game with the the Phillies where they both scored. I mean, there were like fifty some odd runs scored in the game. That was the Cubs again, you know, that some of the highest scoring games of all time. I, I was at a game in Cleveland in 2016, I believe when the Cubs scored 17 runs, um, they had scored 10 by the time I had even gotten into the ballpark. Cause we played a gig beforehand. I got it in like the third inning. They had put up like an eight spot in the first and I was like, Oh, I guess uh, you missed all the, off- you missed half the offense. <laughs> I missed half the offense. And, and uh, I'm like, Oh, well didn't miss half the beer. So, um, yeah, they're they're a team that's. I remember some games in Cincinnati. That's another band box where they played and put up a lot of runs. And you know, I do wonder that. Like, who is the team that has scored the most runs in history? Just like straight run totals, like or even runs per game. I you know there are ways to look these things up. I actually have a ton of respect for the people over at Elias Sports and uh, Baseball Reference who do these types of things because I play around with Stathead all the time. And frankly, like it, it gets real hard to know where you should draw the line on some of this stuff, right? Like 1901 is where a lot of the stuff at Baseball Reference starts, mainly because all of the stuff that was going on in the 1800s is so wonky and backwards from what we think of now if you go back and look at some of those days and we can be done talking about this after this but if you go back and look at some of those days where they had these huge offenses there's like split squad games going on there's like a a club that like is half pittsburgh and half some cincinnati and they're playing a game over here while a double header is happening over there like double headers are just common it's just like a thing that everybody does there's like six double headers on the schedule uh the teams are changing their names like every three years. So like in 1884, it's the Chicago white stockings. And then by 1894, it's the Chicago Colts. And that's like a, not the official name, but it's what they're known as. And it's just like the whole thing is like a, it's like piecing together a mystery puzzle. And so anytime you see something in baseball that has not happened in more than a century, I think that is cool. And on Tuesday night, the Cubs were part of something in baseball that has not happened in more than a century. And that was rad. It was absolutely amazing. Very glad to be able to see it. A friend of mine used to say, if you go to the ballpark, you will always see something new. You just have to know where to look. You didn't have to know where to look for that one. You just saw it and it was crazy and wild. I wonder if the new offensive rules, like the shift rules and the pitch clock and all that type of stuff, will result in more games like this. Because anytime something happens for the first time in 140 years, you have my attention. Yeah, and there's a bunch of weird outliers within this year of games, like this season of games, uh, whereas like the like the Pythags aren't really lining up, for example, with like the Cubs specifically. Their run differential is great, but they've got a losing record. Uh, Brett Taylor posted something. I forget the name of the stat, something I'd never heard of um, on the Bleacher Nation site, but it, 
it was basically kind of like how many games you should win a sort of like more advanced Pythag that like attempts to take out all the luck from the game. And I'm like, I don't even know how you could do that. But, um, but I the, missed this, so I can't help you with whatever yeah, this statistical yeah, I, thing I'm, is here. I'm going to look it up. It's some weird stat I had never heard of in my life. I, but it, but it's like one of those things where I feel like there's a lot of those kind of stats because you've got the new pickoff rules. You've got, uh, you've got the the shift being gone. Now the shift wasn't even in existence for you know the first 80 years of the modern era of baseball. But at the same time, it's like these are guys that were accustomed to using the shift at least for the last decade or two. And now it's like, that's gone. So you're going to get more base hits. You got a guy that was flirting with hitting 400 and uh, Arias over with the Marlins who just got swept by the Cardinals, by the way. And um, you, and so I, you've got the, the fact that you can't take time between pitches. So now you're like bringing it back to like 1950s where the guys like just pitched a shutout complete game and now he's going back out there two days later and he's got to do it again and like the only way they even bring in another guy to pitch is if like your arm falls off and so you know well it's it's funny because I, i hear people say all the time that there was never a pitch clock before and and they're factually correct that there wasn't a clock counting things down but there was a game timer known as the sun that you had to like beat to play your game, right? Like when the sun went down, your game was over. Like there were no lights. So you, that was how you were going to get the game in. And if you're playing double headers <laughs> at the rate, they were playing double headers in like the 1880s and 1890s and early 1900s, you got to get two games in <laughs> somehow Yeah, between like noon and eight o'clock. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like those dudes were hustling. And, and you're like, you know, half your team's got tuberculosis and uh, you know, the, the- <laughs> They're just like, I'm sorry, that's not funny, but it's they're, funny. they're getting some. No, it's funny because it's an old disease. Like they, they call the consumption. It was that long it's ago. actually not an old disease. TB is, a, is still, it's a still around. I know that's why I give areas, which is why I should not be like, la- I, I, yeah, I, I really feel bad about but that. But you know what it's I'm saying? It's life. Life was a little cheaper back then is all I'm saying. So they didn't care about such things. They weren't making the money. They're like, oh, hey, you know, the, the train crashed and, you know, half the guys are dead so let's get these miners to come up and let's call them the miners all right now our new name is the miners we're the minnesota miners we're a professional at baseball team because we actually just came from the mine to play baseball because the other team died and so it's like you know we're just dealing with a cold what difference. is this is this oregon trail or is this baseball <laughs> exactly well can i give you this bleacher nation a bs stat it's base yeah runs. let's do it and then let's do it and then we're going to a break what is it base runs Base uh, runs. It's graphs metric that it projects a team's record oh. based on underlying performance, stripping away some of the flukiness of baseball. And I'm like, baseball just is fluky. You can't strip it away and have it be meaningful at all. It's not even a real stat. It's not worth looking at. You know, in what way is that predictive? It's not because, you know, there's always going to be flukiness. And are you saying flukiness, meaning like, oh, if he had just hit the ball a little harder. It would have been in the outfield. Or if that guy had been playing one inch to his right, or if they didn't have a good team, like, I don't know where they start and stop with some of this stuff, you know? Um, I'm not, I didn't read that article, so I can't That's really comment article. on that stat, but I, I mean, I can, I can guess where they're going with it. I like, like some of those stats for <clears throat> what they're good for. 
And what I mean by that, and I was going to talk about FIPS. So I'm glad you brought up FIPS. Um, fielding independent pitching is a really useful stat for evaluating, for example, whether a Kyle Hendricks or a Marcus Stroman would continue to be a good pitcher on a team with a worse defense. But as long as they're still playing for the Chicago Cubs, who have a great defense, it's not all that informative of a stat because the defense is a constant that does exist for them in the Cubs system. And so this is why for years, Kyle Hendricks would like overperform his FIP. He'd have like a 2.8 ERA and a 4.2 FIP. FIP doesn't like him because he gives up too much contact and it sees that contact as getting through a worse defense. But for most of those years, not all of them, most of those years, Kyle Hendricks had a really good defense behind him. So as long as the balls weren't leaving the yard, he was in fine shape, right? And the same thing is true for Marcus Stroman. It's true for Drew Smiley. It's one of the reasons, though, that the defense has to be on. If the defense is not on, you have a night where, like, Nico botches a ball that becomes a double that he catches nine times out of ten. All of a sudden, your, your advantage is gone, right? And now you have a 4.2 or whatever. We are well overdue for a commercial break. Uh, fielding independent commercial break for our sponsors. Um, on the flip side, we're going to preview four games against the Cardinals, see if the Cubs can keep their non-sell-off hopes alive through the weekend. But first, a quick break. And we're back. The Cubs are still in it, barely. They are seven and a half games out of the division. They are seven games out of a wild card spot. They are four games under 500. And I honestly... You look at the schedule and you see a bunch of games against the Cardinals and the White Sox. And from a baseball perspective of like, these are not very good teams, you can sort of squint and see the Cubs going on a run here and keeping their hopes alive. And I, the eternal pessimist realist, see a ton of rivalry games that are going to get played really hard. And the White Sox and Cardinals are about to play their best baseball of the season to destroy the Cubs' hopes and dreams. What do you see, Danny? Well, yeah, remember the last time the Cardinals came to town. They beat us, and Wilson Contreras was on the uh, revenge tour, and you were all about it, so I kind of blame you a little bit, Sarah. I'm and still all about it. <laughs> if Wilson Contreras forces Jed Hoyer into another sell-off, that will be chef's kiss, karmic justice. Well, that's the thing is that it's not even Wilson Contreras doing it. It's it's our own damn team that did it, you know, by underperforming uh, almost all metrics. But or actually overperforming and still losing somehow. Like, so you could take your, uh, you know, FIP and, uh, you know, stick it where the sun don't shine. Because, like, the Cardinals have scored more runs than the Cubs this year. They have. Their pitching has been worse. Our pitching has been better. So there's your difference. But we're both lousy teams. So we're going to be there. You're right. They're going to be coming in here. It's their World Series. They're looking up from the bottom of the the division, or at least they were for most of the years. And they know that this means more to us than it does to them at this point in the season. They've already proclaimed themselves sellers. Mosaic came out and said, there's going to be some changes around here. We're selling them off. And it's the only time in my whole life that I could remember them doing it. The Cubs yeah, that's the do it every year, apparently. <laughs> no, I I'm sorry for interrupting, Danny. It's important. Like the Cardinals never sell ever. Like, I don't remember the last time the Cardinals were sellers at the trade deadline. They can be kind of out of it and they won't sell. They like will add pieces here and add pieces here and tinker there and do all this other stuff. This is a Cardinals team that is finally going to sell and like came out and said so, which is just, I've never 
it's it's unprecedented in at least the last 20 years of my being a baseball fan. <laughs> yeah, they're never it, they're never this far down in the standings either. I mean, it was a it's been a fluky year for them too. I don't know how much maybe they've even underperformed their Pythag like the Cubs have. Like I've not like, you know, kind of I will pull up their Pythag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I I'm looking I'm looking at some of their numbers here right now like as far as their schedule and results it looks like um they should be under 500 but not quite as much as they are cuz they do have a a uh losing um run differential but they're 9 and 19 in one run games you straighten that out you're a 500 team um you know in uh blowout games is about even um they beat us like, and that's what drives me. They're three and two versus us. And that's what kind of drives me nuts. So they, they can all, they're a last place team who has beat us. Um, they've, and that's unacceptable. The, the bad start they got off to, Hey, they got a 10 and six July. They got a 15 and 13 may they've had, they had a bad, they had a little June swoon too, but like they have had winning months, two of them. And they're in one right now. So I don't, I count them out. Like, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs or anything. I don't. I think they dug themselves too big of a hole, slightly bigger than the hole we dug ourselves. But, you know, I do think that they will be playing hard. And you got guys like Ali Marmel trying to play for his job. At, you know, if he even makes it to the second half, the Cardinals have underperformed so badly. Yeah, the Cardinals have underperformed their Pythag a little bit. Uh, they should be 46 and 50, according to the number of runs that they've scored and the number of runs that they've given up. But they are, in fact, 43 and 53. That's actually not a terrible underperforming there, because, again, we've talked about this before. Uh, it's not – I mean, it's just not a predictive thing. A lot of it's based on luck. How much did the Cubs pad their Pythag with that 17-run game that they, like, have all these other losses that are, like, one-run losses? And to put this in perspective – the Cubs Pythagorean record is 51 and 44. Uh, they should actually have a winning record and be well over 500, but they are not because they can't put it together consistently. We'll see if they can put it together consistently against this Cardinals team. Uh, they are going to have to do so. There's four games. Starts with a night game Thursday night. That is tonight. Um, and then three day games as God intended it. 120 starts at Wrigley Field Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The pitching matchups are listed as Mats versus Stroman, Flaherty versus Steele, Nicholas versus TBD, and Montgomery versus TBD. Danny, talk through your thoughts on those first two while I pull up uh, who Rotowire thinks TBD is this well, week. Well, it's got to be Smiley and Tyone. It would be their turn. I think the only one they're not going to face. Does it have to be, is... though? Because, like, we were just talking <laughs> about Drew Smiley basically hitting his in innings limit and, like, the Cubs still kind of wanting to trade him. And Tyone, man, can we just be done? Like, I, what are we doing? Well, we, we can't be because they're paying him a lot of money and he's, he's going to be there for the next three years. They need him to get right. Like they need to fix him. They really have no choice. In fact, if all they do for the rest of this year is let the kids play and fix Jamison Tyone, it will not be a lost season for us. Okay. You know? I have an idea for Jamison Tyone's next start. And I know the front office doesn't care what I think, but just a, just a thought. The thing that is wrecking Tyone, and it happened again versus the Nationals, is teams stacking lefties against him and him not being able to sequence it. 
correctly, right? What if you use somebody as an opener so that they can't stack left and, and make it a credible opener threat, right? Like make it an Assad or somebody who like you can't stack lefties against. Somebody who could theoretically go three or four innings if they got hot. And then you bring Tyone in as the bulk guy behind that person. And now he gets to face a lineup that is not stacked with lefties or the opponent has to burn their whole bench to stack lefties against Tyone when he comes into the game. Yeah. I mean, so it'd be like kind of a fake out that, you know, that you'd be doing just. Saying, it would be strategery, hey. Danny. It would be yeah. strategery. Yeah. And to the extent that maybe other teams would believe in it. Sure. I wish maybe we had. So I, I wish maybe we had a lefty that you could do that with. And you, you <laughs> Whoa know, there. Like, Whoa. It, yeah, I know. I'm just saying like, you know, you throw out a different lefty and then, you know, I, so just just to get a bunch of right-handed hitters in there. Just How did this team get to the point that the old, like their lefty option was Brandon Hughes and they were cool with that? They were like, this is all we're going to pack. Well, now it's Anthony Kay, and apparently they'd use him in blowouts up 14. Like they're only lefty. They're like, hey, let's throw him out there. Like maybe he needed the work. I'm not going to complain about it but too much, but it just seemed weird. But uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like – if you know certain things about like a guy's splits that you should be trying to take as much advantage of them. But you and I have talked about this on this show many times is that the splits matter less than whether they are a good ball player at all. Right. So, you know, I don't care if a guy hits 400 from the left side of the plate and 300 from the right side of the plate against you. It's still a lot, no matter which way you go. So, cause you stink. And so that's what I'm trying to um, wonder. And the fact that you'd sign a dude to like an $80 million contract or thereabouts, and then end up having to be like, do we need to put him in the pen or something? Like it reminds me of, you know, kind of like, and for totally different reasons, but like, what do you do with Carlos Zambrano? And like the, when he was falling apart and he became a head case and couldn't pitch anymore, like, what could you do? Oh, moving to the pen. And that didn't work. And like, you know, it's like, you can tinker with these dudes only so much, but the fact of the matter is he just has to do better. We saw yeah. a glimpse. A I glimpse. mean, I'm looking, I am looking at these Cardinals pitchers and honestly, the Cubs should just do damage here. Steven Matz is 0-7 with a 4.86 ERA. Jack Flaherty is 7-5 with a 4.29 ERA. Miles Mikolas is 6-5 with a 4.14 ERA. The only dude throwing this weekend at Wrigley that I think the Cubs need to worry about at all is Jordan Montgomery. Yeah. The bullpen is not good. Helsley's hurt. Like, they they have been piecing together the bullpen with duct tape. That's why they're bad in one-run games. Like, I just feel – and plus, we know – Catcher ERA trumps all, and Wilson's a bad <laughs> catcher. So, like, the Cubs should score, like, 20 runs a game, right? Uh, you would think – I mean, it's going to be a nice weekend. The ball will probably be flying out for both teams. It seems like the weather is going to stay real nice. Um, Cardinals are coming in hot. They just beat the Nationals uh, they two or three, same as we did. They just swept the Marlins in Miami, which we know that that we did not do we, that. We, we, could we not did account. not do that. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. That was in St. Louis. Never mind. I'm looking at the wrong thing. We didn't that do was, it in Chicago we, either. Yeah, exactly. No, they swept them at home. And um, now they they come in. So they're playing hot. Like they've only lost one game since the break. 
Uh, we've lost three. Um, so they're playing better than us. They're trying to, to catch us. We've, we've got eight games against them. You know, it would be very easy if, I mean, here's the thing. If the, if the Cardinals in the next eight games against us in the next 10 days that they exist, um, beat us, even go eight and two against us, I think they leapfrog us in the standings easily. I mean, depending on what happens in those other in-between games, because there's only one series in between for us. It's the white Sox. I don't know uh, who is it for them. For them, it's the Diamondbacks, not an easy team. But, but you're right. Like these are rivalry games. I think we split everything. I think we split with. I think we go four versus four, Cardinals, Cubs. I don't know what what order it's going to happen in. It'll probably be completely random. And the games you think you're going to win, you're going to lose. And the games you think you lose, you're going to win. And the same thing's going to happen in the White Sox. To end this trade deadline situation, we will be 500. I get there are 10 games left and we will be 500 in them. And, you know, and I don't know how it's going to go down, but that's all I'm seeing from this team. I don't see a team that's positioned or poised to rattle off 10 in a row or even going nine to one or anything like that. It's just not us. And it's rivalry games. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, Oh, there's some interesting stuff going on here in the Cardinals last two weeks and change of hitting we'll, we'll dive into it so again this is uh wrc plus based on the last two weeks you have to have at least 20 plate appearances to qualify and the there are a lot of guys who are super hot here but there's some interesting stuff going on in the plate appearances category here where a lot of these guys are playing part-time at the moment or they're sitting a lot particularly wilson Contreras uh leads the cardinals right now wrc plus of 220 over the last two weeks and change, he has two home runs in that time period. He's slashing 313, 450, 750, which is that's just a classic Wilson burner right there. But what's interesting to me about that, he's only playing about half the time. That's in five games he's done that uh, with 20 plate appearances. And I know that's about half the time because Nolan Arenado is next on this list. He has 10 games and 44 plate appearances for WRC plus of 216. So any hopes we had of Nolan Arenado staying cold this season, those are those have been dashed. Next up is Yvonne Herrera and Alec Burleson, who are splitting time. They both have about 20 plate appearances, but with WRC pluses of 166 and 162, respectively. Nolan Gorman looks like a full-time player with a WRC plus of 158. Brendan Donovan looks like a full-time player with a WRC plus of 125. Paul Goldschmidt, always a full-time player, WRC plus of 112. Dylan Carlson, part-time player with a WRC plus of 112. And I bring all of that up uh, with the plate appearance stuff, mainly because not all of these dudes can play at the same time. Like by design, they're platooning some of that stuff. So it's not like you have 17 guys who have really good WRC pluses there. You really have like half of the lineup, but it's interesting that they're sort of mix and matching and giving guys that much time off. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's going to be the secret to their success in the future is figuring out how to use everybody right now. Um, given where they're at, um, they, I'm looking at here, the, the Cubs be probably because of that 17 run onslaught did manage to overtake the Cardinals and run scored for the year. So, but we've only scored four more runs than them. So it's not like we're, you know, knocking the cover off the ball. And one thing that St. Louis can do is hit the ball out of the park. They've set seventh most home runs in made in the majors right behind the Rangers. Um, so the opposite of the Cubs. <laughs> yeah, no, the Cubs just don't hit them. I mean, they, they do. They're below average though. They 106 home runs, uh, versus the Cardinals, 131. So they've 25 more home runs. It's a lot. So 25 more home runs for the Cubs 
and we're in first place. Hey, let's no do doubt it. For, in my from, mind. from your from your mouth to Judd Hoyer's ears. A uh, couple of guys who are cold for the Cardinals right now. Jordan Walker, their rookie um, third baseman who's been playing in the outfield, has a WRC plus of 75 over the last two weeks. And Paul DeYoung sitting at 61 for the last two weeks, slashing 256, 275, 308. I mean, that dude would probably be an everyday player on the Chicago Cubs with those numbers. Let's talk about the Cubs <laughs> hot bats. Uh, Cody Bellinger, biggest trade chip, still leading the way here. He has a WRC plus of 280 over the last two weeks and change. He has hit five home runs in the last two weeks and stolen two bases with a slash line of 459, 512, 919. That is his slugging, not his OPS. Patrick Wisdom, who can't buy a consistent spot in the lineup, has a WRC plus of 205. He's hit three home runs in the last two weeks, and he stole a base, which I kind of forgot about, but he definitely did that. He's slashing 278, 391, 833 during that time period. Mike Tockman is hot again, slashing 310, 394, 621 with a WRC plus of 172. Miles Mastroboni playing his way into uh the into the lineup he's slashing 389 450 444 over that time period with a wrc plus of 152 and say suzuki finally heating up hit a ball to waveland the other night love to see it he's slashing 300 341 450 over the last two weeks with a wrc plus of 114 i'll pause there before we do cold hitters what do you see there danny yeah i mean you get a couple of offensive onslaughts. You get to face the Nationals bullpen for three days. And they scored, even in the game that they lost, when they scored five runs, it was they were able to kind of get batting practice. The one I'm uh, most interested in, the Hap Homer from the right side, I believe. That was really good to see. The other thing is uh, Seiya Suzuki. I mean, he just, same thing with Tyone, got to be better got to go better you have three more years in this cubs uniform you have a no trade clause we uh, you're you're penciled in every day in the right field like every single day like it's got to go better and you know if he can make this list a little bit more often i think that once again the cubs could be in first place if everybody would have played like we thought they could have played you're at least a competitive team in this horrible division instead it's gone the other way and they've um you know played to the uh minuscule parts of their their metrics the outliers dudes who have struggled in the last couple of weeks christopher morrell has a wrc plus of 81 over that time period he's striking out a ton 35.1 percent. although i will say he's also walking a lot 13.5 percent walk rate and a lot of those strikeouts are on called pitches so i think he's just working through some stuff at the moment nico horner uh turning it around a little bit in the recent days but not enough to turn around his wrc plus of 75 in the last two weeks he's slashing 227 292 341 over that time period he does have two stolen bases so does ian happ uh ian happ is slashing 167 302 278 over that time period with a wrc plus of 68 jan gomes uh wrc plus of 62 and the dude who i would give anything to just see on the bench for a while and let miguel amaya play and let patrick wisdom play trey mancini has a wrc plus of 24 over the last two weeks and change yet still is in the lineup all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Ross GPT has been spitting that stuff out and you know, I don't know what to do with it. We argue all the time. Like I I've been fights with people on Twitter about like the value of miles Mastroboni and stuff like that. And you know, it, it's one, if you're one of those metric heads and you want to look at all the advanced stats and you think that's what baseball is, then God bless you. Have fun at the Stratomatic ballpark because that's the only place that that crap works. 
the in real life, everybody, you actually have to be good at baseball and play the game properly and, uh, you know, be strong and hit, hit the ball where they ate. Like nothing as ever yesterday was prime example. Miles Mastroboni, hate to pick on him because he's trying his hardest, but he hit that ball 104 miles per hour straight into the ground. The pitcher made a play on it. He's out. Then later in the game, he basically saves the game with a 48 mile per hour bunt. Not even, you know, if he's lucky, he went 48 miles per hour. And that's baseball. So I don't really care what all your stupid numbers say about hard hit this, hard hit that. You got to know what to do in the time that it needs to be done. I was more impressed by the freaking bunt because it was a good one. <laughs> well, I mean? if he has if he has more good bunts coming against the Cardinals, you will hear about it here on Cup of Cubby Blue. Danny, where can people find you and your takes about sabermetric strategy? Matic, I don't know, man. I I was going to do a third S there, and I just blank. Come so, find me in the upper deck tomorrow, and I'll berate you with my ideas. Um, no, at Sunranto on Twitter, uh, having a lot of fun on the Sunranto show on Sunday nights too. So tune in there. Awesome. You can find me at at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find the show at at Cup of Cubby Blue. We will be back after this Cardinal series, breaking down everything that went right or wrong in at Wrigley Field over the weekend, and hopefully the Cubs playoff hopes will still. Be a lot. Until next time.